This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to an instant reaction edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. What are we reacting to today? Patrick Corbin got paid. It's not by the New York Yankees. Uh, Ken Rosenthal was probably the first to report, or maybe it was John Heyman, or maybe it was Joel Sherman, or maybe it was Jeff Passan. One of the great baseball guys out there reporting that Patrick Corbin is signing a six-year contract with the Nationals of more than what you Darvish got last year. That worked out well, of $126 million. I want to analyze this from a few perspectives, the first one, of course, being the New York Yankees. I have talked to two Yankee fans in the last two minutes before I started recording. One Yankee fan, Ernie Acosta, the fine producer of the Midday Show, is pissed. He looked at it and said... I give him six years. I'll give him $125 million. What do I care? Another Yankee fan I spoke to, a guy who I sometimes respond to on Twitter, said Yankees made the greatest choice. This guy's not worth six years. He's not worth $100 million. Who's right about this? I lean towards not earning because you're paying Patrick Corbin over $100 million. You're paying Patrick Corbin until he's 34, 35 years old based on what you ask. You're doing it based on one season, 2018. I can't even say 2013. That was his breakout year, his second year in the major leagues. I call it the Matt Harvey year. It was the same year that Matt Harvey dominated. Patrick Corbin was also having a great season, and then he got hurt. He pitched a full season, unlike Matt Harvey, had a just a great year, missed the entire 2014 season due to Tommy John surgery. His recovery has taken three years. He had three straight years where he either didn't pitch the full season or when he did, wasn't very good. This past year, 2018, he had a great year. Threw 200 innings, had a low three ERA, all the way around, no matter how you cut it, He had a very successful year. His strikeouts per nine were way up. His walks were down. His home runs given up was way down. His whip was even better than that season of 2013. It was an all-around great year. But that's what you're paying him on. You're paying him on the fact that he was great last year, and you think, and that's the key word, you think the best is yet to come. It's similar to James Paxton. When the Yankees made the trade for James Paxton, by the way, I'm all for it. I think Paxton and Corbin are very different. Paxton is not killing you financially. It's a prospect deal led by Justice Sheffield. With Corbin, it's all about investing a great amount of money and a great amount of years. But you are banking that Corbin is better and is going to build off what he did a year ago. And there's a great risk involved in that. The track record of Patrick Corbin is is essentially one successful year over the last five years. Now, if your attitude, and Ernie has this attitude, is I don't care about money, they're the Yankees, they don't have a budget, who gives a damn, then sure, you could have that attitude and sign any guy you want. You could bring anybody in and say, well, we can just spend our way out of this. But Patrick Corbin is a guy whose value increased for two reasons. 
It increased because he was coming off a really good year. It increased because he's under 30, which is so rare for a free agent. And it was just the perfect timing for him. I can't kill the Yankees for not giving him six years, 127. How could you? What do you expect to get out of him over this six-year deal? Am I concerned about the transition from the National League to the American League? I think if you're a Yankee fan, you have to be. Because it seems like just about every guy they bring over from the National League tends to struggle. So I can't kill the Yankees for saying, you know what? We gave you a five-year offer. We went into the late to high 90s. I'm not sure how high they actually went. That's a lot to begin with. Six years, 130 basically, for a guy who's had one good year in the last five years. You're taking a leap of faith with a signing like this. And the Nationals are doing it. And look, knowing the Washington Nationals, they're probably deferring the crap out of it because that's how they make deals. And hey, it works for them. It's worked at times for them. Remember, they tried to sign Yoenis Cespedes the first time, the one that made sense for the Mets. And I think what hurt them is that they were trying to defer a lot of money. So I assume they're deferring a lot of money here with Patrick Corbin. And what's good for Washington in this, or at least good for Corbin in this case, is he goes to Washington and is their third starter. Now, if he came to the Yankees, I think it would probably be similar. I think you pencil in Severino ahead of him. You pencil in Tanaka ahead of him. So he is going into a situation where he's more of a middle-of-the-rotation guy, but he's being paid like a top-line guy. As far as what the Yankees should do from here, I think that the options that you're looking at is making a deal with Cleveland. I think you start right there. Is there a match between Brian Cashman and Mike Chernoff? I don't know, because I think a part of the question that still hasn't really been answered about Cleveland, mainly because they haven't made any deal, is what they're looking for. You know, They're talking about trading Corey Kluber. They're talking about trading Carlos Carrasco. They're talking about trading Trevor Bauer. I assume that they're still trying to win. Because when you look at that division, that's still an incredibly winnable division. So if that's the case, wouldn't the Indians be looking for win-now talent and maybe guys that are controllable and probably an outfielder, right, to fill the need that's going to go with Michael Brantley signing somewhere else? Do the Yankees have a controllable, major league-ready outfielder for them to take? And the answer is not really. I mean, the only guy they have that fits that bill is Clint Frazier. And I wonder, I always wonder this about any team. If they traded a prospect away, are they really in a hurry to trade for that prospect back? It's not something we see very often, where a team trades a prospect away, and then within the next three years, before the guy ever really establishes anything, is traded, reacquired. I mean, I'd have to think long and hard about a lot of examples like that. There doesn't seem to be many. Because Brett Gardner obviously just re-signed a one-year deal. He doesn't fit. Aaron Hicks, as good as he is, remember, he's a free agent at the end of the year. He doesn't fit. They're not going to pay for Giancarlo Stanton. The Yankees are certainly not trading Aaron Judge. Jacoby Ellsbury is untradeable. So if what they're looking for is a controllable, major league-ready outfielder, the only guy the Yankees really have that fits that is Clint Frazier. And maybe they love him. Maybe they didn't want to give him up in the first place. So maybe he is a fit do you want to trade prospects and are prospects even in a deal like this like i mentioned if the indians are trying to win are they going to take prospects back now one thing that's been mentioned is the idea that the indians would like to move the jason kipnis contract and if that's the case the yankees again could use money as a weapon maybe better than the way the mets did with robinson cano kipnis is signed 
for one more year. I think he's making $10, 11000000 million. I'll get the exact number. And then there's a team option, and then he's gone. The problem with Jason Kipnis is the fact that he's not very good anymore. That's, that's, that's probably the number one issue. He played last year, but he was, wasn't very productive. Had a low 7 OPS, hitting the low 220s, 230s. So that could be the number one problem, even though uh, the Yankees could use a guy that could play second base. You could always move Glaber Torres to shortstop, at least as part of the way that you're filling in for Didi Gregorius, that you really want to take Jason Kipnis back. He's making next year, I got the number, $14.5 million. But here's the appeal of it. Would I rather, especially if I'm the Yankees, would I rather take back a contract to lessen what I have to give up from major league talent or minor league talent? Absolutely. Why the hell wouldn't I? If I've got the money, I may as well. Carrasco, if, and I'm not sure which of the three they're more likely to trade. Trevor Bauer has said openly he's not looking at any kind of extension. Kluber is the best of the three. You do have to worry, okay, when is he going to break down? He's also not making that much money. For a guy who's a top five pitcher in this league, he's only making $13 million a year, and you've got two club options on him over the next two years in that same price range. Carrasco's making less. He's making $9 million. And then you got a 2020 option of him at $9.5 million. Bauer is going year to year. And apparently he wants to remain going year to year and not sign a long-term contract. I think Kluber's the more established, obviously, of the three. But I think what would play a big role if I'm Brian Cashman is what's the price on them. Forget the amount of money they're making. What do I have to give up to get any of those three guys? The easiest answer here is just re-signing J-Hap. And it's not sexy. I know that. I know there's going to be a lot of Yankee fans that say, J-Hap, I mean, that's, that's, that's what they're doing. But he is safe. Look what he did for this team when he came over in the 11 starts he made. Look at overall what he did in 2017. Look at what he did overall in 2016. He's a very solid, you can rely on him arm. But he's getting up there in age, and he's not as sexy as the other guys as acquiring a big-time ace. Now, I don't know what it's going to cost because the Phillies, remember, were also bidding on Corbin. They end up not getting him. The Phillies and their owners basically admitted it. They want to spend like a drunken sailor. That's basically what they've said. And maybe that means Bryce Harper, and maybe that means Manny Machado, but I think it's going to be a starting pitcher. So maybe the Phillies, who've had Jay Happ before, he's had success there. Maybe they offer Jay Happ more than he deserves. He is a 36-year-old lefty. Charlie Morton scares me. I would stay away from Charlie Morton. I have said this on the air a lot with Joe. I don't know what's going on with the water in Houston, how Charlie Morton all of a sudden started throwing 98 miles an hour and looking like this dominant strikeout pitcher. I don't get. I'd be afraid of Charlie Morton. Nady Evaldi. <sighs> Nate Evaldi kind of fits what we were saying about Corbin and what we were saying about Paxton in that if you pay Nate Evaldi, you're paying him based on what you think he could do. And I mean that more so than even Corbin and even Paxton. Because even though Paxton hasn't had a 30-start season, I think James Paxton overall has done more than Nate Evaldi. The problem with Nate Evaldi is last year he comes back off the injury. Remember, he missed all of 2017. He comes back. He pitched well for Tampa Bay. He pitched well for Boston. But his overall work in the 20 starts that he made 
was okay. And I watched a lot of Nate Evaldi. I had picked him up in fantasy, so there were a lot of specific starts I watched. And there was one start in specifically that kind of ruined his ERA. It was a start he made against the Minnesota Twins. I think it was with, I think he still was with Tampa Bay. But he was throwing batting practice in the first inning. I think he ended up pitching one inning, allowed eight runs. And that can always be an ERA killer. But Nate Evaldi hasn't put together a full 30-start season since 2014 with the Marlins. And he wasn't even good when he did that. So by signing Nate Evaldi, not only are you putting an incredible amount of stock in what he did in the postseason, but you're taking that leap of faith that right now, at 29 years old, he'll be 29 on opening day, same age as Corbin, that the best is yet to come. It's got a lot of risk attached to it. The least risk of any of the guys out there is making a trade for any of the Indian starting pitchers. I think that's the least amount of risk that you can have or something you know unforeseen that we can't imagine. Madison Bumgarner is still something I don't take that seriously because A, I'm not convinced the Giants are going to trade him, and B, you got to ask yourself, if you're a Yankee fan, what are you giving up for Madison Bumgarner? A guy who's a free agent at the end of the year. I mean, are you ready to give up somebody like Miguel Andujar? I wouldn't. I mean, you can give up your top prospects if you want. I mean, you can offer them Estevan Floreal and start with a deal like that. But it's a lot for a guy that's only signed for one year. I'm not concerned about Mad Bum the pitcher. Not now. I think I'd be concerned about giving him a seven-year contract or a six-year contract. And by the way, if you're Madison Bumgarner, who right now at this moment just turned 29 or turned 29 a few months ago, so he'll be 30 next year. And he'll be 30 upon his free agency. One year older than Patrick Corbin. One year older. Madison Bumgarner is going to look at six years 130 and laugh. He's going to say, are you freaking kidding me? Patrick Corbin's had one good year in the last four years. Sure, I've missed some time the last two years. Look at this resume. Give me nine years, $200 million. You think I'm kidding? <laughs> Why wouldn't he? And that's a big factor in any Madison Bumgarner trade. Short term, he gives the Yankees the best chance to win a world championship. Maybe the best of anybody out there. You'd only give him the edge over Corey Kluber only because of Mad Bum's incredible postseason run. I think right now, maybe over the course of a 32-start season, you'd have more confidence in Kluber. A's done it in the American League. B's done it more recently. Mad Bum's had those two sort of lost seasons with the Giants. And you've got that transition he's making to the American League. But from a postseason standpoint, you'd feel certainly a lot better about Madison Bumgarner than any human alive, including Corey Kluber, and maybe especially Corey Kluber, based on his last chunk of postseason starts. But with that said, the question I have about him is how much would I give him as far as free agency when he gets there? I'd have a tough time with that. Because you talk about paying for what a guy has done, that's what you'd be doing for Bumgarner. The positive about a Corbin and an Eovaldi and eventually a Paxton, a Paxton and prospects, you're paying for what you think they're going to be. Because what they've done doesn't warrant $100 million. What Nate Evaldi has done despite his great postseason doesn't warrant $90 million. What Corbin has done certainly doesn't warrant $130 million. But you're paying for what you think he can be. With Bumgarner, you're going to be paying for what he's done. And what he's done, while great, is what he did with the Giants, not with you. John Heyman said it's going to be $140 million over six years for Patrick Corbin. 
and there will be deferrals, Ken Rosenthal says. I'll tell you right now, if you're a Yankee fan listening to me, as much as you may have assumed Corbin or wanted Corbin, you can't be mad about not going six years 140. Six years 140 for a guy that's had one good year in the last four years. I know he was coming off Tommy John surgery. That's insanity. As far as what it does to the Met fan listening in the National League East, does it make the Nationals better? It may hurt them long-term because the contract's crazy, but sure, Patrick Corbin's a good pitcher. He's bettered their rotation. Remember, they traded Gio Gonzalez late in the year. Uh, essentially, Patrick Corbin replaces Gio Gonzalez at this point. Do you think Corbin's better than Gio? Probably, but can Corbin be as dominant at City Field as Gio Gonzalez has been? That's a fair question. And the other thing I, th- I think a move like this does is it just makes the Phillies who want to spend money, who have said they want to spend money, even more desperate to spend it. So if I'm the agent of Manny Machado or I'm Scott Boris representing Bryce, I love this. I love this because even though they play different positions, the Phillies want to spend. They want to spend. They tried to get Patrick Corbin. They couldn't. I guess they weren't going to go that far with him. And there are deferrals involved. I'm curious how that works. I think it just makes the Phillies more and more giddy and desperate to spend money. I think that's where it goes with them. But you know what this also shows? This also shows that for the second straight offseason, we have assumed something about the Yankees that didn't happen. We assumed, all of us, come on, everyone's got to admit it, Shohei Otani is going to be a Yankee. It's a far-gone conclusion, no doubt. And the first grouping of teams he eliminated included the Yankees. And it wasn't anything personal with the Yankees. It was a geography thing. But we all assumed Otani wanted to be a Yankee. Didn't happen. Fine, whatever. We assume now for four months, well, Patrick Corbin's brother Gave him a Yankee hat at his wedding. Well, that means he's going to be a Yankee. And he wants to be a Yankee. And Corbin had said publicly, I want to be the be a Yankee. And all this proves, it's like anybody who calls up the show and says, hey guys, why would someone sign with the Mets? They'd sign with the Mets for the same reason Patrick Corbin didn't sign with the Yankees. You go where the money and you go where the years are. And I'm not ripping Patrick Corbin. I don't think any Yankee fan should rip Patrick Corbin. The guy went where the money was. Who wouldn't do that? But it's a reminder that even though he grew up as a Yankee fan, he wanted to be a Yankee, blah, 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 blah. People go where the money's at. And that's exactly what Corbin did. He went where the money was at. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it just proves we can't assume anything is going to happen. We can't assume a guy's going here or a guy's going there. If I'm the Yankees, my first approach would be the Indians, and I would see if I can match up on a deal for any one of those three starting pitchers. Outside of that, I mean, I touch base with the Giants about Madison Bumgarner. I may as well touch base with the Mets about Noah Syndergaard, though that will never happen. And you probably settle for Jay Happ. So it is a little bit of a letdown, but who knows, maybe for the Yankee fan that wants Bryce or the Yankee fan that wants Manny Machado, maybe this does help in them pursuing a bat like that because if they couldn't spend as much or do as much as they wanted for starting pitching, 
maybe they actually push it towards a bat. We'll see. So this is the instant reaction to Patrick Corbin. He signs with the Washington Nationals. The NL East race continues to become something to behold. The Braves started it. They brought in Josh Donaldson. They brought back Brian McCann. The Phillies trade for Gene Segura. They're in on everybody. The Nationals go out and sign Patrick Corbin. The Mets make the Robbie Cano-Edwin Diaz trade. And the Marlins are still selling JT Riomuto. Stay tuned. The NL East is looking fascinating. This has been a instant reaction. Corbin to the Nats, not the Yankees edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.